several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow Talk to And it is time for your weekly grape encounter, but this is not just any grape encounter. I am at the Chardonnay Symposium, which this year is out on the beach. We are having a great time in a tent at Marisol in Pismo Beach. And I spotted somebody in the crowd here that was running around tasting all these amazing Chardonnays, who is really one of the most esteemed publishers in the food and wine industry. She's got a brand spanking new project. A lot of you will be familiar, especially if you're in the industry, with her other publications which are Tasting Panel Magazine and the Psalm Journal, but now a new publication coming out at the hands of Meredith May, and the title of the magazine is going to be what? The Clever Root. The Clever Root. Anything that grows. I thought Google Maps was the Clever Root. (laughs) This is our OOT. Our OOT. Okay, so anything that grows. That's right. I mean anything. So your magazines, for the most part, are always about that professional connection to food or wine or the things that we indulge in. You've got the sommeliers covered. You recently acquired the Psalm Journal. Right. And that's going really well, right? Unbelievably well. We quadrupled our circulation in the first year, and we're reaching over 65,000 wine buyers, academics, wine schools, culinary schools across the country. It's a wonderful trip. Is that a good magazine for somebody who wants to have the same kind of knowledge that a psalm would have, but maybe doesn't have the time or the resources to go to training classes? So if you really take the time and read it cover to cover, which I know that the psalms do yeah. and the wine buyers do, you'll really get a sense of the whole world of wine, from meeting winemakers to understanding the intricacies of regions to what it really tastes like when you're indulging yourself in Cabernets from all over the world. Whatever it is we're writing about, we write about it in a really interesting but academic way. So this is not a fluffy journal in any way, shape, or form. No. This is a a journal for the serious wine person who wants to learn, and you're going to take them places maybe even that those psalm classes are not going to take them. Right, because it's obviously packed with great photos, interactive interviews, and tasting notes. You live vicariously through the writers. And importantly, it's taking you beyond where the psalm exam takes them because it's going to be dealing with news as it happens that would be important to a sommelier. Yeah, the Psalm Journal is also the who's who of the industry, so it's a behind-the-scenes look at who the celebrity wine people are in the world. Who's doing crazy things, Yeah, stuff like that. 
Okay, so let's go back to the food magazines. So just like you rely on Psalms for the Psalm Journal, the food magazine is going to rely mostly on chefs. Is that correct? Yes, it'll be a voice for chefs, for farmers, for millers, but mostly it'll be through the eyes of working chefs in restaurants who are setting trends, using unique ingredients, what do they buy, how they buy, how they grow, how they source, who they're sourcing from. This is a national magazine, The Clever Root. Again, 80% chef-focused, but if we don't talk about everything that grows, from Sonoma lamb to heirloom tomatoes to flowers. So there are some other things that I notice that are getting really big right now. Surprisingly, tea is getting really big right now and seeing more and more tea houses starting to come onto the scene. And, of course, herbs are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, not just from the standpoint of using them in foods, but for medicinal purposes, for relaxation, for whatever else. Will those likely be things that you'll talk about also? Yes, in, because in it's all about being healthy. This is a new age for us going back to our roots, right. the clever root. We're going back to our healthy roots back to nature, but we're also in a technological world. I think we're just going to try to bring it all together and be as entertaining and interesting as possible. Well, you've got a very broad topic, that's for sure. And it seems to me like the sky's the limit on this particular right. topic. Well, well, the chef kind of went away with us when we brought mixologists into the fore, and the psalm is the new king on-premise at restaurants. So the chef needs to come back from the back of the house and onto the front page again for us. Well, what are you saying then? Are you saying that we winos quite accidentally elevated the psalm to a higher position than the chef? Yes. And now we've kind of screwed up and we got to get the chef up on that same pedestal? Or I maybe... think absolutely. Really? Yeah, I think wine buyers and chefs and restaurant owners are celebrated by the beverage companies so much where the food companies don't have that same cachet. Ah. I think that had a lot to do with, at least in the trade, in our magazines, our advertisers want to reach the Psalms. So we need to make a new raison d'etre for the chef to become important. Bringing in the ingredients and his sources, meats and produce, kind of bring that into focus. We're talking to Meredith May. She is the publisher and editorial director of all of them, Yes. right? Yes. That's easy. The Tasting Panel magazine, which is a broad wine and spirits publication for the industry. The Psalm Journal, which is geeky and ac- academic for the wine world. And now the Clever Root the for ta- the consumer and chefs. I particularly love the Tasting Panel magazine. Oh. I like the stories. I like the way that they're written. They get down beyond just how much tannin is in a wine and get down to the personalities that are involved in the winemaking process. and. That, I think, is everything. Yes, we love to be interactive with the industry, whether it's the winemaker or the buyer or the restaurateur or the retail store operator because those are the people who we interact with when we go out to buy a wine or taste a wine. So we're here at the Chardonnay Symposium in Pismo Beach this year, which I like the setting, don't you? Yeah, it's a great setting. We've got 40 wineries here from all over the world. We've got Italy and Argentina and Australia. It's so awesome, I think, and some nice munchies along the way that work very well with the Chardonnays. Let's just ask one opinion. You know, Chardonnay certainly a great food wine and maybe the white wine of choice for the dinner table. Is it making a comeback right now, or is it losing ground to well, other Well, I wives? think it's coming back because of style. 
the wines are getting less oak, more Thank neutral you. oak, less new oak, and less buttery, edgier, cleaner, crisper, more food-friendly. So we went from one extreme to the other, and now it seems to me like we have three Chardonnays out there. As I walked around the tables here, the thing that I found very interesting was that almost everybody that poured said that this was our Chardonnay that was aged in concrete tanks, this is our 40% oak Chardonnay, and this one's been aged 18 months. There is a nothing, a middle, and a heavy oak because all three of those consumers seem to be out there right now. Do you agree? Absolutely. You, Chardonnay is like cooking chicken. You know, what do you want? You want fried chicken tonight? You want baked chicken? You want chicken fricassee? It's all style. I think it's more like mustard. You go to the mustard aisle in a good grocery store, and there's 60 flipping mustards there. That's right. They should have mustard tasting bars in grocery stores if you want us to have to navigate all that mustard. Okay, we're going to do a mustard story in the Clever Root. I say you just do a (laughs) mustard magazine. There's enough mustard (laughs) out there to do it. Meredith May, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show, and today being no exception. So I'm very excited about your magazine. Thank you so much. I I think it's a great niche to fill a chef-driven magazine on food that talks about sources and how they do things and sharing ideas. Are you concerned that some of these chefs may be reluctant to... They won't be in the magazine if they're reluctant about that. Oh, that's it. Okay. Either spill your guts or you're not in the magazine. And and if you're interested in a subscription, the first magazine comes out this fall. Just go to thecleverroot.com or email us at info at thecleverroot.com. That's R-O-O-T. So you've got the whole thing up and rolling already. You're on the ball. Well, we're getting the word out. And you know what? If you're uh, an industry person or just somebody who really wants to learn, the Psalm Journal is awesome. And every issue is just a plethora of things that you never knew. There's so much to know. But that's probably the best place you can go to learn. So when people ask me on the wine show, you know, how do I learn more about wine? Subscribe to the Psalm Journal. Right, because we're not a magazine about ratings. We are totally content. I subscribe. Thank I you. I get it. I read it. I appreciate it. On that. planes mostly. In fact, I can only read it on a long plane flight. <laughs> That's it. Okay, so Psalm Journal and then finally the tasting panel. Can a regular consumer subscribe to that? Anybody can subscribe to my magazines, yes. All right. Yes. No holds barred. Just go look at us. It's the tastingpanelmag.com. Sign up for your subscription. We come out 11 times a year in print. Psalm Journal six times a year. Just go to psalmjournal.com. Meredith, thanks for coming by. I really appreciate it. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters Radio right after this. My thanks to Meredith May for being here with me and keep on doing what you do. We like to talk about wine. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin wine access system costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Simply click the Coravin link online at grapeencounters.com. A wine is a terrible thing to waste. 
Get your Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free trade chocolate-covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there, and bottles of two horse, of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. And now suited up in a little number from his Tommy Bahama wine lover's wardrobe, here's the guy who went from hipster to sipster, David Wilson. with Grape Encounters Radio coming to you from the Chardonnay Symposium, which is taking place this year in Pismo Beach, California. First time the event has been here. And it's just a whole lot of great Chardonnay makers from around the world. It's an international symposium, so there are people here from Italy, New Zealand, from Australia, from certainly America, and parts beyond. But now with me is Aaron Mercer. The minute that I met him, I knew we had to talk a little bit because he is the blending winemaker for the Turnkey Wine Brands. And if you're not familiar with Turnkey, you'd certainly be familiar with a lot of the brands that they have. Aaron, welcome to the show, and why don't you give us a rundown? It's a pretty big company. Sure, absolutely. You know, the parent company owns some really solid vineyards on the Central Coast, including the Endecito, Solomon Hills, and, and the French Camp Vineyard. As Turnkey Wine Brands, we do a lot of private label work, but, but in addition, the Jay Wilkes brand, which is represented here today, yeah. Ballad Lane, Magnolia Court, and the Smashbury brand, which are all national brands. Okay, so I have to tell you something about Smashbury. We carry Smashberry, and I, I told you that we have a wine bar sure. on the Central Coast. That wine is so good. Yeah. As a matter of fact, yesterday we sold out yet again. We can't keep that wine in. Now, do you have anything to do with the blending of that wine? Uh, yeah. I mean, everything we do is a team, but absolutely. You know, you reference blending and, and really wanted to chat about that. That wine is a blend, a white blend and a red blend. And, you know, that sort of mix of varietals is what makes the wine. So what's in it? Well, what's in it? It's trade secret. I know. I th- I, I, <laughs> Here, have another glass of wine. <laughs> yeah, look, well, for the white, it's a mix of Muscat Canelli and Roussan primarily as a base. You get that great viscosity from the Roussan and the real aromatics from the, the Muscat Canelli. For the red, we stick with core varietals that everybody knows, such as Cabernet, Merlot, Cab Franc, and, and a small amount of Petit Sirah, actually. So real premium 
uh, Central Coast varietals. Well, I'll tell you, the white in particular is a wine that literally flies off the shelves. My wife calls it a quaffing wine. Uh, so do we. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that wine is a, a touch off dry, but, but still completely refreshing, great acidity, and we intend it for, to have glass after glass. I don't imagine there's a lot of residual sugar in that wine, but yet there's so much fruit that's coming through that you get that sense of it being, I think, much sweeter than it probably really is. Absolutely. You know that's it. correct? Yeah. Okay. So Muscat, Canali, yeah. and Roussan. Primarily. And the price point on the wine is fantastic. Absolutely. You know, and really what Grape Encounters is all about is finding great values for people and really great wines that are approachable, that are affordable. And I think that is probably as good an example of a wine that you're going to pay more like the kind of prices you would pay in Europe for wine, which by the way, it's very cheap to buy wine in Europe. Yeah, I uh, com- completely agree. Completely different. European wines may be more expensive here, but that's all part of importation. But anyway, it's a nice everyday wine that you can just really enjoy. I'm at the International Chardonnay Symposium and spending a couple of minutes with Aaron Mercer. He's the blending winemaker for Turnkey Wine Brands, a number of great brands, and just got a chance to taste a really delicious Chardonnay that they're pouring here. That was really awesome. Tell me about that wine. Yeah, so the wine tasted here is the Jay Wilkes brand. Vidal Perez is actually the named winemaker for that brand, but it falls under the banner of Turnkey. Excellent wine from the Santa Maria Valley, fermented and aged in oak. We presented both the 12 and 13 vintage. The 12 is pretty much at the end of the production. I think that 13 is going to be a superstar, though. Completely agree. We've really stepped it up. We're making a more luscious, big tropical fruit characters. We think this is one of the better vintages produced for us. Excellent structure. And, you know, all about fruit. I I really like wines, fruit first, and then all of the other stuff. So let's talk Chardonnay for a second. It's always been popular with the public at large and has always remained the best-selling white varietal, certainly in the U.S. I don't know about the rest of the world, but I think that a lot of the enthusiasts bailed on Chardonnay for a while because there was some over-exuberance where oak was concerned. And now it seems like we have maybe three or four styles of Chardonnay that are being made, and there's been this sort of fragmentation that's occurred in the Chardonnay world. Would you agree? Absolutely. I completely agree. You know, we sort of see that unoaked stainless version, which are just brilliant. They're vibrant, they're alive, and certainly for drinking on a sunny afternoon. And then we see that kind of neutral barrel, some complexity, some real palate weight derived from spending time in oak, or partially in oak. And then we see maybe the old-fashioned style. But I look around the room today and I see these wines presented with great acidity, really bright and alive. And It it seems like most of these winemakers today have at least their unoaked and their oaked. I think you almost have to do that as a winemaker, don't you, if you're making Chardonnay now? Sure. I think it just gives you greater option, too. You know, we, we have a number of Chardonnay brands and that flexibility to be able to blend that spice in that you need, you know, when you're looking for it on the bench is just critical. What can you blend with Chardonnay? Anything you want, I guess, to a certain point. You know, I've seen Viognier work really well. Again, Roussan, they can just add a little richness to to the wine. You know, you start to step to the aromatics such as Gewürztraminer or Musket Canelli and you start to change the real core fruit of Chardonnay. But it's entirely up to the winemaker what works for them. Do you think that the Bordeaux blends were born out of a need to try to create a better wine 
than just the single varietal Bordeaux was blending at that point in time compensating for deficiencies in wine I think so and I, I think it still does you know you're looking at some varietals that ripen earlier than others some with higher acidity or higher tannin and, and, and just the ability or the flexibility to blend and come out with the perfect wine is critical you can make I believe a far better wine with the ability to blend well great to talk to you I really appreciate it Aaron Mercer has been my guest blending winemaker for turnkey wine brands and I certainly appreciate you taking a moment to come over and talk to me there are a lot of people here so I know you're busy so I'm going to let you get back to pouring wine for these customers and I thank you so much for being on Grape Encounters thank you David it was great alright we'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this unpretentious unconventional and uncorked this is Grape Encounters Radio If you'd like to hear more no-nonsense talk about wine and all the fun that goes with it, check out winetalkshow.com. At winetalkshow.com, you'll find a massive library of content for fun-loving, unpretentious people who aren't afraid to step outside the lines and challenge conventional wisdom. We'll take you places you've never been before. That's a promise. Expand your wine horizons in unimaginable ways at winetalkshow.com. Nestled between world-class Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo wine countries, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the humble heart of the Central Coast. With access to endless wine country adventures, including wine and olive oil tasting tours, artisan farm experiences, food, wine, and cultural events, historic Atascadero's cozy and oh-so-friendly atmosphere make it the perfect home base for Central Coast tourists. Discover more about the heart of the Central Coast at visitatascadero.com. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin costs a little bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Click the Coravin link at GrapeEncounters.com. A wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. Chocolates, Chardonnay, and Billy Holiday. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. Okay, back with Grape Encounters Radio, and I am now sitting at the Chardonnay Symposium in Pismo Beach, California. Across the table from me is somebody who totally and completely intimidates me. I don't ever want to get into any kind of a challenge with her again because she's just like that much smarter than me. It's Amy Jean Butler. She's a winemaker, makes wines for a number of people, including herself. Her wines are absolutely, totally, and completely delicious. She is one of the most respected winemakers 
winemakers on the Central Coast. We have winemakers from literally all over the world here, but I wanted to grab Amy, and the reason I am intimidated by her is because, Amy, you and I have been in a few contests together. <laughs> Identify that wine type contest. Name yes. that wine. Name that wine. Drives me crazy, because I always tell people about my belief that that's a great thing for anybody to do. If you're having a dinner party, wrap up the wine. You know, don't just flaunt some $150 bottle of wine that you bought. Mm -hmm. Instead, brown wrap some $30 bottle of wine that you brought. You'll get more mileage out of that than you will out of the other. I think brown wrap every wine at the dinner because it might turn out that you love that $9.99 Cote de Luberon and then you hate that $140 Napa Cab. You have to try things without being biased. And the only way to not to be biased is to is to wrap it up. I think it's so smart. I would say probably less than 1% of the population actually does it. Well, because it's, it's intimidating. It is intimidating, and it's especially intimidating when you're in the room. I'm not intimidating, David. No, I'm sorry, but you are intimidating, and I've been in this contest with you, and I know what intimidating is, and it's like, oh, what's Amy going to say? Like, I always want to go after you. Because then I'll just say, yeah, what she said. Oh, that's <laughs> sweet. But uh, there are so many people that I'm afraid to taste wines with. I mean, it goes on down the line, you know. Everybody knows more than the next person. And um, I am just here to enjoy some Chardonnay. That's all I'm here for. I love this variety. I think it's been maligned. I think it's been marginalized. There is not a single bad wine here. Really? True. How many Chardonnays have you tasted here? Yeah. Oh, I'm guessing like 60, but I mean, I'm not swallowing, so. Didn't swallow any? Yes. Okay, yes. all right, all right. I spat the ones that weren't swallow worthy. <laughs> that's, that's not sexual that, at all. Okay, yes. Um, so I think I've tasted every one's except there's one booth that has an Italian and an Argentinian wine that I have not been to because David distracted me from my tasting thing. I caught you at the very end. You caught me at the very end. Yeah, but anyway, I was down there actually at that last booth. And what have I got in my glass? You have, it appears to be Sangiovese, but it's very dark. So I'm, I'm guessing only, it's Italian. I'm the only guy walking around with red wine. Everybody else here is drinking Chardonnay. Well, you know what? This is part of my problem. I feel like white wine is generally marginalized in our society. I don't know why. White wine is very rare in some communities where it's produced, like in Burgundy, it's not 50%. It's mostly red. And white wine is much more difficult to produce. It takes a lot more attention to detail. It doesn't in self mask any flaws. It is absolutely the purest expression of a sight And I'm not sure why everyone seems to be thinking that it's not as good or not as real as a red wine. Last night, we had a rather big affair over at the Grape Encounters Emporium. And fact was, we probably sold white wine two to one over red. That's great. Two to one over red. I love hearing that. On the Central Coast, a place known for red wines, not white wines. And, And I think it had everything to do with the weather. It was a very hot day yesterday, mm-hmm. and on hot days drive white wine drinkers. Yes, they do. People come up and they say, I want a white wine. I want it to be slightly sweet, modestly sweet, very sweet, and I want it to be ready cold. I know. I was going to say cold. Ice cold. That's it. And I'll add to that plenty of acidity to balance out the sweetness. And I mean, there's so much complexity and elegance to a white wine that you don't often see. You do see this complexity in reds and elegance. So you're making a bunch of different wines. What percentage of the wines that you're making are white wine versus red wine? Uh, I would say that 50% of the wines I make for Ranchero, my own brand, are whites. And then 
Everybody else, it's between 20%, 10%. It's not huge. So you're leaning more white than I'm the average winemaker. I feel like a lot of Paso Robles winemakers make white wine because somebody's grandma might come in and they might like white wine. And I, I really feel like they're not focusing on it and not making it to its full potential. Full. So let me understand this. So they're making the wine because it's an obligation. They feel like they need to make a white, they but they don't make... like it. And I mean, I think that that is changing now. I mean, thank goodness. But in the last 10 years, I think it's become white. The people have been taking white wine more seriously. But I still get this like, oh, you're such a good white winemaker. And I'm like, what does that mean? All right. Let's talk about female winemakers for a second. Mm-hmm. There was a huge gender gap for most of the time we've, we humans have been on this planet. Well, it seems to be changing pretty fast now. Do you yeah, think because is it changing fast enough for it's you? It's changing fast. And I don't know that it was a gender gap. Like women couldn't get jobs in the industry. I don't think there was any barrier. I just feel like there weren't that many women who were interested. And now that there are, there are way more women winemakers. And I think her name is Madison at the... St. Francis, she told me it's up to 10% in the state. And I was like, great. It's at least 20% in San Luis Obispo County. We're higher than the rest of the state. Really? For some reason, we have more women making wine here than they do in the rest of the state. Do you have any idea why that might be? No. No? Well, perhaps it's because entrepreneurship is easier here than it is in Napa or Sonoma. And so women can start their own brands and then be their own winemaker. Let's talk about the dynamics of being a woman winemaker for a second. Do you find that when wine drinkers who are female find out that the wine was made by a woman, that there's a tendency to be more supportive of that brand? Does that matter? You're kind of giving me sort of I mean, and part of me hopes it does, and part of me hopes it doesn't matter. I want it to be important. But I don't want it to be what defines my wine or my brand. Yeah, any more than them buying the wine because they like the label. Right, exactly. they got to like the wine. Right, like the wine. If you know that it's a woman, great. If you don't, great. If you are buying it because I'm a woman, thank you for your support. But I hope that's not the only reason. I'm talking to Amy Jean Butler. She is the winemaker proprietress for Ranchero Cellars, works with other brands as well. She's somebody that I have heard over the years so many really amazing things about, and I understood why after I got to go to a dinner party with her and a number of other really savvy wine people, and we tasted, oh God, how many wines did we taste blind that night? I want to say it was like 20. It was a ridiculous amount. It number. was a ridiculous amount. None of us could drive home. But <laughs> I we could walk. tasted all of these wines that were all served up with the labels masked. And it was so much fun to hear people who sell wine from a restaurant perspective, from a uh, wine bar perspective, who make wine, people who are involved in wine, even really hardcore wine aficionados, reacting to these wines, which were served in no particular order, along with a dinner that had a lot of different kinds of foods there. So the whole pairing experience was kind of unusual to begin with, but we all had to taste these wines out of any kind of logical sequence and then react to the wines and frankly 
I think we got it more right than wrong, didn't we? I think we did. And, you know, we each had like four or five glasses, I think, so we could have all these wines and pair them with the food and talk about the matching and try to guess what they might be. And, you know, you're often wrong, but sometimes the reasoning is correct. It's amazing that you actually think that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt what a mainstream Cabernet or Zinfandel or Syrah or whatever tastes like. And then you realize when you aren't looking at the bottle how scary it is. I mean, really scary, especially, you know, people like us who are in the industry every day of our lives. we're supposed to know. We're supposed to know, and you don't. It's like, how did that happen? Does that still intimidate you, or are you over it now? Oh, I'm over it. I will throw anything out there. I will just be like, well, this kind of like is like a little bit Riesling-y, but then if it turns out that it's a Chardonnay Mosquet clone, I'm all, well, great. I love this wine. All right, so uh, any particular blind tasting where you felt most humiliated? I had an experience recently where I was really humiliated and angered. It had nothing to do with the blind tasting, but it was a bunch of fellow Rhone winemakers, and uh, it was a dinner, and we're supposed to bring a wine that inspired us, and I brought a Condrieu, which is a Viognier, okay, from Northern Rhone, and it was told to me that no one expected to have a white wine. They had they had no capacity to chill it. There's no ice. There's no refrigeration. Why would you bring a white wine anyway? And I just turned around and grabbed my Rhone and grabbed my Condrieu and left. And I really feel like I talked about the marginalization of white wines to you a little bit earlier. And that was like the, the pinnacle. Wow. I'm very, very upset that people can't seem to recognize the importance and the beauty of white wines. So, it's just like a fun lunch wine. It's not a fun lunch wine. It's the be-all and end-all of my winemaking career. It is what I love. It's what I do. So it's really funny because I, I think a lot of people would probably sit here and presume at least just the opposite, that red wine is more complex and it's more difficult to make a really good red than uh, a good white. But yet you say just the opposite. And, you know, in a sense, I guess I have to imagine that might be true. Red wine is very forgiving. Well, it's very forgiving. But then I think about how many Napa Cabernets there are out there that you can go into a big box store or, you know, a cost plus world market or a Trader Joe's or whatever, and you can buy a quote Napa cab for $15 or even $10 or $20. And it's all, you know, in many cases, grapes that have been rejected and still can be called Napa cab, but there's nothing you can do to that wine that is going to make it better, you know, at all. And yet, it's got that, you know, Napa cab reputation. And, you know, so I really tend to think that 90% of the red wine that I drink sucks. Oh, well, you should buy more imports. I really you know what I'm saying, that, you know what I'm you know, saying right? I do, I do. Um, Napa cab, okay, it's only got to be 75% Napa. The other 25% is usually Paso Robles. So why not just buy a Paso Robles cab that already costs less, but is made from the premium fruit that we get from Paso Robles? So you're saying that they use the... Paso cab to bolster the Napa cab, not the other way around. That is what I'm led to believe. Interesting. By folks like Gary Eberly, you know. Yeah, well, it's just amazing. I mean, I've talked to way too many people who are in the juice brokering business, you know, who move tankers full of juice that come from anonymous vineyards where less than premium grapes are sold off and become part of the, quote, mix. And I remember when I was first in the industry and I found out that you shipped wine on tanker trucks, I think I almost cried. Really? Yeah. Just took away the glamour of it for me and just it turned it into just a, an industry, which it is. 
and I'm now in it, and I'm hoping to make money from it. But it's very uh, there are a lot. There's a lot that goes on that that isn't on the back label of that bottle. All right, so let's end this with Amy Jean Butler saying, "Damn it, no wine of mine is ever going to be shipped on a tanker truck." I hope I get big enough to have a tanker truck ship my wine. <laughs> That's where the profit is. Oh no. <laughs> An entire interview about not selling out. You can edit that out. No wine of mine will ever be on a tanker truck. Could you do it with passion, please? (laughs) I can tell you, David, no wine of mine will ever be on a tanker truck. Awesome. We need to get the Star Spangled Banner playing behind that. That's going to be great. Maybe, no, 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 Yankee Doodle. No, thank you. No Yankee Doodle? (laughs) Maybe. 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 That's right. I'll do do the Yankee Doodle. You do it again. Okay, here we go. Great. I'll tell you, David, no wine of mine will ever be shipped on a tanker truck. That's it. We got it. All right, my Amy, it has been so nice talking to you. If anybody wants to know more about your wines, how they might locate them, best place to go is rancherosellers.com. That's true. They're all available online. And if you're local, you can just click the box that says, I would like to pick up my wine, and we'll arrange shipment. And you know what? I'm just going to say this to close this segment of Grape Encounters Radio. No matter how delicious Amy sounds on the radio, the wines exceed your highest expectations. Wow. Thanks, David. So buy them. Thank you. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters Radio right after this. My thanks to Amy Butler for being here with me. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. She's shaking my hand on the radio. This is, ow, ow, those are my fingers. Sorry. Okay. Winemaker. If you have a thirst for wine knowledge, be it trivia or the latest trends, there's a website that's overflowing with content that we've created just for you. It's GrapeEncounters.com, where you'll find literally hundreds upon hundreds of stories and interviews covering almost every topic imaginable. From the world's most colorful and renowned winemakers to unforgettable wine adventures, there's something for every wine lover at GrapeEncounters.com. Go ahead, log on, uncork, pour, swirl, and sip. As a grape encounterist, you know how much fun an hour of conversation about wine can be each week. But there's no way we can pack everything into a show. Listeners just like you are turning the Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group into an incredible online community where like-minded wine lovers converse, share information, and inspire each other with posts on a variety of interesting topics. If you haven't discovered your community, join in today on Facebook by entering Grape Encounters Radio. If you love wine, then you probably love to travel, too. And there are two places you should really visit soon. The best part is you don't even have to pack a bag or leave your house. If you're looking for adventures in wine, log on to GrapeEncounters.com. There you'll find an audio library of more than 300 stories that will take you virtually anywhere you want to go. At GrapeEncounters.com, you'll find short subjects as well as full stories. All audio can be downloaded with one click, and you'll be amazed at the broad range of subject matter. Another place you really should visit is our Facebook group page. Simply search for Grape Encounters Radio or click on the link on our website. The Grape Encounters Radio group has become a formidable place for wine lovers to exchange ideas, introduce products, and share upcoming events. If you're not already a group member, then join the party on Facebook. Grape Encounters is more than a radio broadcast. It's a family of like-minded, fun-loving, unpretentious wine lovers. Come fill up your glass today. I 
You're listening to Grape Encounters Radio, where we tell you things your parents never taught you about wine. But don't blame them. Grape Encounters wasn't around in those days. All right, back with Grape Encounters Radio coming to you from the Chardonnay Symposium, which is taking place this year in Pismo Beach, California. Usually the home of great clam chowder, but this time of year, the home of great Chardonnay. And it's just a whole lot of great Chardonnay makers from around the world. But now with me is Bo Felton, and he is the winemaker for Migration. And Bo, Migration is part of the Duckhorn family. And when it comes to great wine, that is a name that is in a very small class. I certainly like to think that. Uh, yeah, I, a lot a, of people, th- I, I, believe me, a lot of people think that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, a, a lot of people would agree with you. Yeah, some of the best wines that uh, have been made in America have been made by the Duckhorn family over yeah, the years. No, so, no doubt so about for it. me to be a part of that legacy and that tradition uh, is really humbling. Migration. You kind of got the best name of the bunch, actually. Well, I like it. You know, I think it's a really cool name. It obviously sticks with our waterfowl theme that uh, we're so proud of over at uh, Duckhorn Wine Company. It's kind of the thread that binds all of our wineries together. And in addition to that, we're based in the Russian River Valley, but we are not bound by the borders of the Russian River Valley. We like to get out and And explore. And I do need to say Russian River Valley in California. Yes. Up in the Sonoma area, for those who don't know. Yeah, so um, yeah, Russian River Valley, California, Northern California. Um, But we're not bound by by the borders of our own Appalachian. We like to uh, explore all of the cool climate regions that California has to offer. So we uh, get to explore places like the Santa Maria Valley, Santa Rita Hills. You kind of shocked me because I started out tasting the Russian River Chardonnay thinking, wow, this is going to be a home run, which it was. And then you poured me the Santa Maria Valley wine and that was the grand slam out of the park. Is that it right there, by the way, on my studio table? I actually have the, I have the Russian River here. Oh, you know, me, let's but... give that Russian River a second chance, yeah, shall we? I I think we better it. do That's that. Definitely yeah. Worth it. yeah. You know, honestly, um, I really like all of the wines, obviously, that are a part of the migration portfolio, but there's something about the Deerberg Vineyard Chardonnay from Santa Maria Valley that I poured you. It's so great. I think the beautiful acidity of that wine matched that with the, the nice velvety texture, the richness that, that we've uh, managed to get out of that wine. It's a really excellent wine, and it was really well received today, and I'm not surprised by that. I, I really like it, and I think it's been tasting good. And- Dead serious question, because you had some very serious competition here, and not that this is a contest. But you've got people from the trade, you've got VIPs, you've got consumers, very wine-savvy consumers that are walking around this big event, and you've got Chardonnays from around the world that are being showcased here. And there's some fantastic names here, like Gergich Hills is an example, you know. Mike Gergich, winner of the Judgment of Paris, that certainly put California wine on the map. And I'm guessing a lot of people came up to your table and said, best yet. I got some really positive feedback today. And it, How many it said me, best yet? Well, you're not going to say. There was a handful. There was a handful of people. But, there were, but they were saying that, weren't they? There was a few people that said that to me. And, you know, that's humbling when I hear that. I, it, make, it makes me feel good to uh, to hear that fe- feedback, especially, as you mentioned, you know, this is a really mixed group. There are consumers, but there are sommeliers. There are, you know, wine buyers. There's a, there's a lot of different people here, and there's trade people that are in the event. So to be in an event like this that has, a, you know, a group of people that really does know wine, uh, giving positive feedback like that, obviously, uh, that feels good. Did you get to walk around and try any wine? Unfortunately, I was a one-man show here today, so I 
didn't get the chance to really uh, cruise around too much, but I was really fortunate to be uh, right next to the Melville table, and I I have a lot of respect for those wines. It was fun to kind of chat with Greg and uh, taste those wines, and I got to try a few wines earlier. I was on one of the panels earlier today, and I got to try a handful of wines as well. So first of all, the entire Duckhorn lineup is Duckhorn, Decoy, Migration, I'm forgetting, Paradox, right? Yep, you got that one. And Missing One. GoldenEye up in the Anderson Valley. I would never have gotten that. And I don't know if you mentioned Canvasback. Not a lot of people probably are aware of Canvasback, but that's our new Washington State venture. So we're up on Red Mountain making some really excellent Cabernet Sauvignon. I was fortunate to get a bottle of the 2012 the other day to to take a look at that wine, and boy, it was really awesome. So so Duckhorn, as an example, is certainly considered an ultra-premium wine in America, right? Yes. And then where is migration in all of this? Well, our flagship wines are in the you know in the thirty dollar price range, 30, 32 on the Chardonnay and thirty eight on the Pinot Noir. So I, I certainly you, think that that makes yours it, are, but Duckhorn you can't buy for that. Oh no, no the no. Duckhorns are a little more expensive than that. But yeah, even yeah, right. you know even still, I think that uh, at that price point, you know, you kind of put yourself in a position where you might not be an everyday drinker for for a lot of people. So yeah, I, I like to think you know that we have that same ultra premium pedigree that Duckhorn Vineyards has. The standards that the migration wines are held to are no different than the standards that the Duckhorn wines are, are held. And I am talking to Bo Felton. He's the migration winemaker. And we're at the Chardonnay Symposium in California out at Pismo Beach. But winemakers from really all over the world, a lot of different styles of Chardonnay that you get to taste at the event. Oops, now you're getting hugs from people. What the heck is that? Uh, Sorry about that. They really like the wine, I guess. I tell you what. And by the way, I really like their wines, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Anyway. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Jack Creek Cellars. Jack Creek Cellars. They do a good job, don't they? Yeah, they make some concrete wines that I really like. I don't work with any concrete myself, but uh, they do some concrete Chardonnay. That concrete Blonde. Killer. Love it. Also one of my favorite groups. Nice. And apparently a good book, too. I haven't read it. Anyway, so we are uh, here at the Chardonnay Symposium, sitting with Bo Felton for just a moment. Thanks for wrapping up here for the afternoon. But we've had a chance to taste, gosh, you know, probably a hundred at least different Chardonnays. And boy, the variation is amazing, isn't it? Are, are people coming back to Chardonnay, in your opinion? I mean, you obviously make other things besides Chardonnay, but Chardonnay was maligned for a while. And they deserved it, by the way, didn't they? It's interesting that you asked this question. We talked a little bit about this this morning in the panel that I was a part of. And um, I think, you know, there was a time there where maybe Chardonnay was a little too one-dimensional and, and people kind of got over what was being put out to the market. And uh, yeah, I think people are coming back to Chardonnay. And I think that th- as a winemaking community, we're also kind of reevaluating the way that we're going about making the wine. I think it's uh, it's more appealing to more people now, the way we're making it, yeah. than it was historically. So yeah, I think people are coming back to Chardonnay. And, and uh, you know, when you taste through an event like this today, uh, it's pretty compelling. There's a lot of compelling reasons of why you should be back on Chardonnay. <laughs> have you been with Duckhorn? Uh, since 2008. Man, you're a lucky Duckhorn, aren't you? I sure am. I'm really happy to be a part of the team. Where did you learn to make wine? Duckhorn Wine Company. Really? Cellar Rat? Yep. I started as an intern up at GoldenEye. No kidding. What an opportunity. That's very awesome. Okay, well, congratulations for that. My thanks to Bo Felton, the migration winemaker with the Duckhorn operation from the Chardonnay Symposium on Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson. You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounters microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition.